and welcome to week four edition of the SEC StatCast. I am Clark Brooks, SEC StatCat, leading you along on our journey here. So we're going to do a little deep dive into what teams have been calling uh, so far and what their identities are in terms of X's and O's and some nitty-gritty stats you can't necessarily find in the box score around them. So there's no real rhyme or reason to the order of teams I'm going to talk about. So um, I know a lot of this is going to be theater of the mind, and I apologize. But if you need the figures and some graphs and some helpful things, you can always find it on my site, secstatcat.com. So check that out. Of course, you all probably follow the account on Twitter and Facebook as is. We can always do that. I'm doing the plugs up front so we don't have to do it on the back end. You know what I mean? So let's go ahead and get into it. Let's start with Texas a and um, the Cuban Missile, Zach Calzada. Now, he is a zippy quarterback. He likes to throw into tight windows, and he's not necessarily too ineffective doing so. According to my numbers, him testing tight windows and contested targets, 33.3 first down touchdown rate, leads the SEC entering this week. And attacking outside of the numbers, no SEC quarterback has a preferable accuracy percentage than his um, in that area of the field. But the problem is, is when he's attacking inside the numbers. Not particularly strong there. He ranks no better than eighth relative to uh, qualifying qu conference quarterbacks in those areas of the field. And uh, looking at just his throws beyond 10-plus yards downfield, it still leaves something to be desired. His adjusting completion percentage, 48.2, uh, ranks ninth in between uh, Bryce Young and Emory Jones. So, um, so what are the things that are holding him back? Well, like a lot of things with this offense, it's poor line play. Um, he suffers from the second highest pressure rate entering this week among SEC qualifying quarterbacks. So, uh, Luke Doty is the only other guy that has a higher clip than his 31.9% clip. Uh, it's not good to be basically pressured on a third of your pass attempts. So, um, that's got to be shored up. I mean, no doubt about it, because if this offense wants to maximize his skill set, and it looks like to be arm strength, throwing downfield, you'd like to think that he would like to have more than uh, five of those such targets so far. Now, testing the intermediate area of the fields has always been a treat, or a treat, a trait of Jimbo's scheme levels, um, some switches, floods like sales cross, um, even skipper sale, thumb known by some have uh, littered this scheme for quite some time. Um, they are typically run right into the teeth of the defense, and they always present opportunities for contested windows. So, um, like I mentioned, those contested windows, a third of his such attempts are basically uh, completed. Uh, so that's one of the tops in the conference. Uh, but it leads to a lot of drops because you are naturally have a lot high adversity and interceptable pass rate so his turnover worthy play rate is around seven percent and it's basically because his propensity to test those types of um windows there so and that's a little bit on the lack of speed from this receiving core it's a little bit on scheme it's a lot of bad um recipes that don't really manifest in a lot of yak opportunities or open completions and again when he has to be pressured and he has to speed up his clock it doesn't have a lot of uh time to let a lot of these marinate for deep downfield completions. so um on the year 
only three shot plays by my charting, nine switches, which is also seen as a vertical pass pattern. But again, a lot of them went more intermediate um, as far as results. So uh, two all verts, we'll just throw those in as well. But looking at the offensive line shortcoming on the ground, which is uh, probably the biggest year-over-year -year difference with this group. So, of course, the Maroon Goons, one of the top yards before contact producers in the SEC. But we flash forward to today. And they're 2.32 yards before contact average in standard time is nothing if not average, dead average. And, of course, uh, it was much worse against Colorado, the Power 5 opponent, than the two cupcakes that they've had, Same, uh, you know, sandwiching that. So um, that put a lot of pressure on the ground game to get yards after contact production and as we look right now a 3.26 average is below the conference average but if you look at Isaiah Spiller um, isolated his numbers are just fine um, this is not standard time this is overall production a 50% success rate one of the top yak averages in the SEC like I said um, entering this year one of the reasons why I really did enjoy Spiller was his ability to get yak 4.35 um, average, which is fifth highest. And you know what? A chain is not too much behind with 4.13, seventh in the SEC entering this week amongst rushers with 25 attempts. So, yeah, um, it's just um, overall on average, Mon's speed was a little bit more effective in these zone keepers, at least what we have seen so far. There has been some quarterback stretches, but certainly not as much. Uh, it remains to be seen if Jimbo wants to get the triple option involved from 20 or 21 personnel like he did last year to kind of boost the offense with um, some things going. So they have used some 20, as we have known, but it's mostly you know two tight ends from condensed for their, sh their seldom shot plays and outside zones from this past weekend. But the run blocking really, really is a concern for me. In terms of overall success rate in standard time, um, Texas A&M um, still pretty good because of the, the lack of opponents for the most part, 50.7%. So you got to like that. Um, in terms of pass rate, they're one of the more balanced teams in terms of run pass ratio at 50.7% equals their success rate. Funny about that. But um, in terms of making things easy for this offense, like I said, only a 14.3 um, RPO rate, very low screen rate, and a relatively low play action rate. So um, if we're trying to manufacture some shot plays um, to take some pressure off the ground game and get some bodies outside of the box, because if you know, walking into this cold, you would rather start trying to load up to stop Isaiah Spiller and a chain rather than uh, Zach Calzada, all else equal. So he's got to be able to manufacture some things with uh, single high looks, maybe even some cover zero looks against the more aggressive conference offenses moving forward. But this week against Arkansas, yeah, I, I have no um, solace walking away from what I've seen from the offensive line knowing that I can trust them against the big boys that the Hogs are putting on the field. So um, it's, if they win this game, it's going to have to be on – the Cuban Missile's arm and his aerial traits and his ability and his uh, target's ability to get some contested completions because looking at probably uh, what many people would say was this offense's best player entering this year and Jalen Weidemeyer, um, dead last in qualifying SEC cat pass catchers and receiving success rate. And you know why? His uncatchable pass rate is one of the highest in the SEC. you got to get this guy more catchable targets and stop wasting his opportunities.
All right, now Florida. So start with Emory Jones. I think he played fairly well against Alabama. Um, I think that he certainly does have some flaws, though. Looking at his cumulative production across the season, he's one of the least efficient passers beyond 10-plus yards downfield. In fact, on such targets, his interceptable pass rate is like over 12%, an eighth of his passes. Obviously, small sample size, whatever, but this tracks with uh, the fact that <laughs> three interceptions occurred in that area of the field, so uh, we can't ignore that. So um, His also weak spots are outside of the numbers, so um, that remains to be seen on these long throws, so a lot of things have to be um, basically in the middle of the field, and we saw a lot of that against Alabama, actually. As we got him on the move and we shortened his uh, distance to throw on a lot of these attempts. Um, but, of course, the run game really picked up in the second half there. And, of course, Emory Jones has some value in that aspect as well. So he and Malik Davis, ironically enough, have identical success rates and – or I should say first, first down touchdown rates and explosive run rates. So for us, an explosive run is 10-plus yards. Uh them having identical clips obviously makes this dynamic dual-headed threat very difficult to stop. Um, and they had a lot of diverse concepts against Alabama. Um, nine looks had three or more tries, and quarterback power was the only one with a sub-50% success rate. So um, they were able to stay on the field with three possessions of four or more minutes and really hinder, or I should say limit, uh, Alabama to a three second half possessions, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Emory Jones, just to circle it back to him on this season, um, look, it's just not exciting numbers. 55.8 accuracy, 42.9 success rate, 36.4 first down touchdown rate, which is just barely better than his ground, his his carries, or I should say his clip on design carries. Easy for me to say. But a 5.2 explosive play rate, that's not good considering you know defenses are going to want to try and load the box against the Gators. He's got to be able to take advantage of his one-on-one matchups, especially because Jacob Copeland still, still looks to be one of the more incendiary pass catchers downfield in the SEC. But like I said, 13% interceptable pass rate, just gross, gross, gross. Um, and a 19.5 uncatchable pass rate, not particularly strong either. So um, in terms of what the run game has been doing, the team as a whole, in standard minutes, um, it's one of the best. Like the run blocking certainly has gotten better, and it's not just that they have um, you know, a talented and eclectic uh, rushing core. They average three and a half yards before contact in standard time. Only Missouri has a preferable clip in the conference, according to my charting. And uh, after contact, well, only Auburn, thanks to them playing uh, cupcakes, average more after contact than Florida's 5.1 yak average. Very nice, right? So um, an overall success rate, Florida's third. Um, you would think it's ballooned by the uh, – by that run average, right? But looking at their numbers here, 55 overall, uh, 53.9 rush, 56.1 pass, second in standard time in the SEC. So uh, believe it or not, Alabama, or I should say Florida playing very efficiently. It's because of how they played very nicely against Alabama. So what are they running per se? Uh, now it's called Nike option in our 
um, terminology just so we can differentiate between the terms of speed option, but all intents and purposes, it's a speed option. So it feigns to be an inside zone or an outside zone action before the back then attacks the edge, and you're reading that edge defender for uh, a you know an outside gain there. So ten of them have been called on this season. Seven of them have worked, um, and has gained the fourth most yards of any concept group averaging eight yards per pop not too shabby if you ask me so um all in all though outside zone reads are this offense's favorite look um rocking a 50 percent success rate on 26 carries that's basically uh a seventh of what this offense has been running so far this year and of course we know quarterback powers have been their lead uh power look as well they themselves, including non-read, under center, handoff powers, 50% success rate. So, yeah, it's it's always nice when your top two success rates or top two concepts have 50% success rates in meaningful minutes, and your uh, wrinkle off of that is consistently great at gashing. So through the air floods, um, that's play-action boots, mostly because of the ones they hammered last week against Alabama, and cross have been uh, very nice. Uh, looks through the air. Nine of those combined, both with a 60 and 75% success rate with a double-digit yards per attempt. Very, very nice. Um, it's just the other stuff is not necessarily um, fallen, necessarily the deep stuff. So, Alverts, one for six. Not so good. Shots, one for six. Um, now, they did hit on uh, their leak play and Fox twice uh, this past weekend. It's just, yeah, the other stuff is so wonky at this point in time because we don't have a strong passer. So overall, um, subpar efficiency from Emory Jones, but the run game and the versatility still makes Florida a very dangerous team and are certainly a contender in the SEC East. So that will naturally bring us to Alabama to talk about next. So, yeah, Alabama, they remain to be an offense that um, consistently suffers from havoc elements. Now, what do I mean by havoc elements? This is pressure, contact behind the line of scrimmage, and, of course, finishing plays behind the line of scrimmage in the form of tackles for a loss and sacks, batted balls, uh, pass deflections, um, interceptions, Fumbles, basically anything and everything that you would think would be a bad stat for the offense. Um, this offense consistently has logged them, um, even in standard time. So this isn't even garbage time. This is standard time. 44.7% overall offensive havoc rate. 42 separate havoc plays by my charting. And most of it is in the past game because, guessed it, um, Alabama is dead last in the conference in allowing Pressure as a team, 38.7. Um, of course, that's led to four sacks and a scramble in standard time, but uh, that is certainly an element that has hurt this offense. Now, um, to his credit, Bryce Young, very great and gifted at negating those elements consistently. Um, he does not have a lot of interceptable, let alone interceptions, on his resume entering this uh, week four slate here. Looking at his overall pass chart from this season, only a 2% interceptable pass rate, 39% first down touchdown rate, 50% success rate, 49.7 uh, depth adjusted accuracy. Um, all of that on the surface sounds fine. His results, again, have been mostly good. This offense as a whole, um, excluding standard time and looking at 
all scoring plays is uh, still one of the top in the offense in terms of scoring. Um, Alabama's 57.4 scoring drive rate is third, and they only trail a couple of units that, uh, let's just say, have not had as challenging uh, slates. But, yeah, Bryce Young, because of his style of play, he doesn't have the most uh, gifted vertical passing acumen. He's a West Coast style of quarterback, both in background and in execution. So, naturally, uh, Bill O'Brien has leaned into things that will maximize that skill set. So, it is getting the rid of the ball quick, using his um, mobility in the pocket in terms of play-action boots. They've done that on occasion, as well as high, high RPOs. You know, I've been doing this for a while. I don't think any of these Alabama passers has had a screen RPO throw rate as high as his 32 percent entering this upcoming week only 31 percent of his past production have been air yards everything else has been after the catch and maximizing his um collective speed at his disposal on the outside with his receivers so they can play behind the chains they can get back on track and even if they don't the defense is decent enough of course in the sp plus they're still a top 10 unit at this point in time um holding their own there so of course, when they start with three straight touchdowns and then go with three straight three and outs, there is some criticism. Well, if they're not on their rhythm, they're out of you know their sorts, well, they can be upended. And there is decent evidence to that. Even though Young has canceled out these uh, Havoc plays somewhat and he hasn't put the ball into harm's way, he's still not necessarily the most gifted passer when straight up pressured. You know, It just doesn't necessarily lead to a straight bad play, but it still certainly affects his operation but I mean if you caught the stat blast this past week Bryce Young doesn't necessarily stand out anywhere statistically relative to every other conference passer even though yeah you on on you know all else equal his returns are fine it's just they are not necessarily extraordinary or necessarily wowing by any stretch of the imagination especially because of how his pass chart looks and how much RPOs and stuff like he has used to pad his statistics. But one of the big shortcomings with this Alabama team, besides allowing havoc, has been allowing uh, a very poor yards before contact average. Um, the SEC average entering this week in standard time is 2.16. Alabama's is 1.5. That's the fifth worst in the conference. That has led to a decent amount of negative plays. And a decent amount of broken plays. They have 12 broken plays in general um, in standard time. Uh, that's 12.8. Basically, you know, an eighth of their plays have been broken in standard time because of lackluster line play. And that's put a lot of pressure on their run game to, you know, manufacture yards after contact. Well, it just so happens that Alabama, very, very good at that. As a team, they average four and a half yards after contact and uh, in standard time. But overall, looking at their lead back, Mr. Brian Robinson, who has consistently across his Alabama tenure been limited by a poor yards before contact clip, um, but he's been consistently good at breaking tackles and getting yak, and that is exactly how he has responded so far this season. So, um, like I said, his yards before contact clip is actually the fifth worst among SEC rushers with 25 attempts, and his yak average is uh, top five. So, yeah, bottom five, top five. How about that? Um, and his success rate 
as a whole, um, not necessarily affected whatsoever. Only um, Hunter and Henry Parrish have a better success rate entering week three than Brian Robinson's 59.5% clip. Isn't that fantastic? And it's not just him winning situationally. Over a fifth of his carries have resulted in 10 uh, yards or more. As a whole, it's just because they're not able to drive the ball downfield effectively. I mean, I don't want to circle back to Bryce Young too much, but looking at his deep passing chart, he's only 2 of 14 on passes beyond 14 yards downfield. And, of course, if we want to look at the plays that they have failed on, it's basically those Yankee shots, those heavy set play actions with a over uh, and a deep post, as well as all verts. Um, just nothing really has worked deep downfield for this offense outside of a wide-open sale in week one that begat a 90-plus yard completion. But, yeah, like I said, it's a lot of RPOs, like bubble screens, tunnel screens, slants, stuff like that. Um, balanced script from this offense like we have grown accustomed to in, in years past, even though Bill O'Brien is the new offensive coordinator. Uh, just take last weekend, for example. Um, talk about extreme example. 18 concepts logged at least two reps with none more than four. Oh, my gosh. Talk about spreading the wealth around. But in meaningful minutes, inside zone reads have combined for 14 on a 50% success rate. They lead the way. But through the air, of course, it's floods that are the big dog. Um, even though that sale pattern in week one certainly is padding the numbers, um, Cross is their top dog, as we all know. They do some cross swap stuff from stack formations or semi-stack formations where the outside receiver becomes the crosser and the slot becomes the trailer. Uh, but eight of them have been targeted in meaningful minutes with an 8.8 .8 yards per attempt, 62.5% success rate. So, um, yeah, some of the stuff is still the same, but they're using less motion year over year. Um, again, because of the pace and the RPOs, um, they don't necessarily uh, mesh precisely well even though at the snap motion is still relatively a uh, decent feature from this offense but to circle back in terms of the statistical output where everything else is, uh, stands relative to all the other conference offices offenses in standard time only Vanderbilt has a worse explosive pass rate than the Crimson Tides 4.8 percent that is bad only three total by volume in standard time all right, Arkansas. Yeah, they are definitely bringing the lumber back. So this is what Britt Beanla, I'm sure, dreamed of. But uh, Sam Pittman is able to use his offensive line background to instill a lot of strength and a lot of production from the trenches. So this is going to be Arkansas's obviously first trip away from Fayetteville this season. Even though it's a neutral site game, they are on the road against A&M. So... If this offense is able to include that verticality that we saw last week, it is a completely different operation than the, than the two previous weeks where it was mostly dinking and dunking and RPO-based. It's still very highly RPO-based, don't get me wrong. But when you uh, don't take shots but you hit on your shots, boy, does it you know make defenses pay for crowding the box. So... Um, looking at KJ Jefferson as a whole, we'll do that later on, but we'll talk a little bit more about the scheme. So like these quote unquote super spreader offenses, the Baylor spread, as I like to say, um, the Kendall Bryles obviously being a big part of that, uh, scheme being popular running Arkansas's offense, uh, very lot of pace read option based, um, RPO outlets in terms of sl fl slides, flats, 
all hitches, tunnels, um, just really trying to pressure sideline to sideline, and especially because outside zones have been um, more featured this year than last year in terms of play share and in terms of output uh, in meaningful minutes. No concept has more yards for Alabama's offense than the outside zone reads 258. They're averaging 7.6 yards per pop, uh, basically a fifth of this offense's total yards in meaningful minutes has been responsible from outside zone. So, um, uh, in terms of other things, of course, they're still doing bluffs and inside zones. Uh, at the snap motion is really featured. Um, even though they have a, a decent pre-snap motion rate, their at the snap motion rates is right there with Ole Miss, and that should make sense. Very similar scheme. Um, but in terms of what they are liking to run through the air outside of just their RPO outlets, well, they're doing some floods. They have a dash sail play that they've run a few times. But look, it has not been overly successful. Sail in general, five attempts in meaningful minutes. Only one of them has worked. 3.0 yards per attempt. Um, Fox is a design that begat a decent amount of gain so far. So Fox is fake screen um, in stack hat lingo. Of course, in week one, K.J. Jefferson took the fake screen to the house on a scramble. And that does pad the numbers a little bit. But three of the four in Meaningful Minutes have worked. Um, one was called last weekend that worked. Um, divide, which is a shot variation. Shot variations in general, only five targets in Meaningful Minutes. But four of them have wound it as complete, um, including a sluggo pattern that was completed last week. So, yeah, again, when this offense is able to manufacture deep completions, it's a completely different unit because, again, they're very, very formidable on the ground at this point in time. Relative to other SEC offenses, um, in terms of explosive run rate, well, Alabama, Florida, and Auburn are the only teams with a better clip in standard time. Um, in terms of volume, no SEC offense has more than their 14 in that parameter. Yards before contact is a big reason because of that. 2.61 before contact. That is fourth to pair with their rankings in yards after contact, just under four yards, which is fourth as well. So very well-rounded um, in terms of broken plays. Yeah, there's still a decent amount because K.J. Jefferson's still not quite right as a true pocket passer, hence the high RPO play, uh, uh, throw rate. His screen RPO percentage is 36.5. It's certainly one of the highest in the conference, but again, if he's able to hit on those seldom shots, it's a completely different thing. His depth-adjusted accuracy is middling to forgettable at 48.6%. His success rate has Arkansas as a team, um, second worst in the conference in that regard. But again, he's not necessarily putting the ball in the harm's way too often. Um, he's not necessarily throwing too many duds. Only a 16% uncatchable pass rate, an interceptable pass rate under 6.5%. It's just the down-to-down -down accuracy certainly leaves stuff to be uh, concerned about, especially because um, when you isolate his pass chart and you look at it, the left side of the formation is basically 90%, uh, or I would just say that much, but it's basically 70% of his production, the middle and right uh, of center, not great whatsoever. Um, you can go look at his pass chart because like, just spewing numbers and getting to the nitty-gritty is not particularly great. But um, outside the numbers, still very good. His arm strength, his zip is fine. It's just that down-to-down -down accuracy. Can you do something more 
for me. So A&M, very nice defense that they're playing this week. Um, they're going to de- absolutely make things hard for Arkansas to run the ball. And I just think that's going to be the difference in this game is if Jefferson can improve on his deep accuracy. Because, I mean, look, when he only tosses um, seven coming into the season, he has four deep completions. Uh, so, I mean, look, small sample size, sure, but that's how Felipe Franks overly operated last year. He was overly accurate on his um, seldom deep shots last year. So I am a believer that they are able to find the completions necessary for the upset. But, yeah, the question is, will the run game – how will the run game overly respond? Because if, if it's not at least decent to average, well, I don't think that this offense necessarily has the firepower to win a slugfest. Looking at down-to-down touchdown rate, Arkansas, of course, because of some splash gains, um, they have a 6.9% touchdown rate, which is the fourth best in the SEC, and uh, turnover rate is under 1% on the year. you got to love it. There are a lot of things to like, especially because over half of their drives have resulted in points for this point, uh, for, for this, uh, point in time, but it's just the down-to-down passing accuracy that prevents me from being overly on the bandwagon for Arkansas, even though there are a lot of things I'd love to see. So especially um, in terms of limiting havoc, because look, we all know with the poor line play the last few years, um, obviously having people like Ty Story um, having to face a shitload of pressure and deal with those circumstances. And even um, last year, it wasn't necessarily all that great in that regard. But the line play is just so much better. Um, fourth best havoc rate entering week four with 23.3% havoc, only seven through the air. In terms of allowing straight pressures, um, only Auburn has been better. Only one log sack, of course, in standard time uh, by Arkansas. So, yeah, the line play has just been instrumental in this team taking a massive leap year over year and having them – um, in the conversation. Hey, we're talking about Arkansas. Let's go. Okay, now randomly let's just switch to Auburn. Um, do we want the thoughts on the cumulative or just some residue from Penn State's loss last week? I'm going to do the residue from the Penn State's loss last week before I end with a, um, some sugar coating because the sugar coating is still highly inflated by the previous two weeks. So 12 personnel was an emphasis for Auburn this previous week. Um, from their first seven snaps, they started with two tight ends on the field, an empty gun two-back wing, meaning uh, the two tight ends are lined up next to each other, and an eye formation. Not too shabby for versatility and multiple looks, but the problem was the results were not that great. Um, I didn't like fading Tank Bigsby and getting, giving him a blow in the middle of the second quarter. Um, the offense really lost its rhythm. And, of course, starting the half with that bloody trick play was disastrous, as was the final goal-to-go sequence. So Bo Nix got by with some back shoulder fades and hitting tight window throws. But cumulatively, yeah, um, his numbers were not great. Um, and as a result, his overall numbers are now uh, basically reflective of his season average for the most part in terms of accuracy, his process metrics, because his result metrics, as you can imagine, are still very, very nice because of the first two weeks. In fact, his passing success rate is still number one in the SEC entering week four, so there you go. Um, put that on a shirt, why don't you, why don't you, Bo? So, yeah, I, I, he himself 
had his own poor tendencies from years past, um, some ghost pocket, break pocket movement, uh, poor placement, um, relying on timing only, um, not necessarily uh, willing to attack the middle of the field, even though there were open people. Look, Auburn ran cross with a bench combination uh, like towards the boundary, and that's where he primarily directed his attention. One of them almost resulted in a pick six, let's not forget. But there were numerous times where there was a crosser open in the middle of the field. Bo Nix just had no desire to give him a chance at a target, so... That is a problem moving forward because, look, people know that Bo Nix likes to attack outside the numbers, and that really can dictate a lot of coverages. All, all people basically have to do is run cover two man because they don't really believe in Bo Nix to be a uh, stout runner anymore. And, uh, well, this is just when they're expecting the pass because, obviously, cover two man would not be so good uh, defending the run. But, like, in the two-minute drill situations like we saw, yeah, they were just easily locked down from Penn State. Not a whole lot of things opened on that drive. It was just very, very messy. But let's circle back and talk about more positive things, and that is people like Tank Bigsby. Tank Bigsby, uh, in terms of yak average, Hunter, right along there with him, uh, first and second in SEC in yards after contact average, 4.72 and 4.2. Five for Bigsby and Hunter, respectively. In terms of broken tackles, they have combined for 30 apiece. Both of their broken tackle rates are at least 38%. They're, they're high performers in the conference. Um, in terms of big run rate, of course, Hunter is number one in the conference. 15.4% of his runs have resulted in at least that. Ex- explosive runs, 10-plus yards. Hunter is, of course, leading the way. Bigsby, not too much of a slouch himself in the top 10 with a 19.2% clip. First down touchdown rate um, in terms of obviously getting those types of things. Hunter, still number one. 50% of his runs have resulted in either of those things. Uh, Bigsby's, though, um, because of this last weekend, not necessarily finding a lot of uh, cushion up front. That has dropped to 319 That has um, got to be improved if he's going to be the lead back. So... Um, in standard time, their yards before contact average is still very, very healthy because of those cupcake perf- uh, performances the first two weeks. Over three yards uh, on average in standard time. And because of those numbers I just aforementioned, those long breakaways because they're two uh, uh, bulwark ball carriers, six yards after contact average leads the SEC entering week five. Um, naturally, Nine yard per carry average in standard time. Down to down success rate, it's okay. 50.8, it's fifth. Um, of course, in, in standard time, only Arkansas is more of a run oriented offense at this point in time. That was certainly to be expected with the emphasis on pro style tactics and to ease Bo Nix's workload and to uh, obviously maximize their very, very good ball carrier. So, in terms of the schematics, the inside zone reads still anchors things. Um, they still do a decent amount of that. Of course, some bluff reads do help manufacture some bow nicks keepers with the wraparound sniffer, but only three bluffs have been called in, in meaningful minutes. It's certainly the slam read all the way. Um, lackluster returns for the most part, but as a concept group in meaningful minutes, 50% success rate, 5.5 yards per attempt. The secondary concept is not counter anymore. It is the duo dive. But the problem is the execution has not been so great. Um, Inside powers in general, only 35.5% success rate in meaningful minutes. Terrible. Um, 
The vertical passing game leaves a lot to be desired. Um, only two of the six all verts, only two of the seven shot variations have hit. None of the two switch patterns in meaningful minutes have hit either. So um, th that is a concern for sure, for sure. But the schematics spread the wealth around multiple looks in terms of like hammering any one thing through the air. You know, some people say the advantage to that is keeping the defense guessing and the other uh, side of the coin is, well, you don't necessarily hammer anything because you're not good at anything. And, you know, you're not going to get that type of ex level of execution on the field. So, yeah, there's two schools of thought. Um, we'll see which one wins out at the end of the day because it does seem like they're not going to necessarily hammer anything too much moving forward. But there have been some fun patterns. Don't get me wrong. They ran that blazer post. So, yeah, there, this isn't a lifeless scheme, but it does have a lot of question marks because of last week's middling performance that resulted in a loss. All right, how about the air raid now? So... Schematically, they are doing some things to maybe try and make up for the uh, SEC element. Uh, some zoom motion, window dressing, and a little bit more year-over-year -year, um, pre-snap motion. Um, some more double moves. Of course, I have hammered and wanted to see more double moves from this offense, and um, it has consistently been their best source of big plays so far this year, um, whether it is Sting, a shallow climb, skipper slash thumb, a bend back cross play, um, wheelie shots, or fox fake screen pattern that had given them two weeks of back-to-back 30-plus -back yard completion. So um, this past weekend, skipper um, gave them three explosive plays, um, including a 36-yard touchdown. Um, so very, very nice um, results there. But, yeah, that mm, – that, Two-point try was terrible, and before that, their failed uh, goal line stand was terrible. And, of course, the most terrible thing from that game was that inadvised pump from the official that sent the whole game into a tailspin. So that results in a loss for Mississippi State. Big matchup with LSU this week. So the air raid, where does it stand relative to the rest of the conference, you ask? Well, a 42% overall success rate. Um... That is below average. In fact, that is bottom five in the SEC entering this week. Of course, if you are curious, the pass-heavy offense drops back on 84% of their uh, plays this year. So in terms of explosiveness, the thing that has hindered this offense, even though they have gotten a few of them like I just mentioned, um, they are literally a few of them. 8% explosive play rate, only LSU and Vanderbilt are worse. So good thing they have the Bayou Bengals this week, huh? That one, you might want to look at the under just because of the underperforming offenses. Um, uh, looking at just isolating the pass plays in general, Mississippi State only has six 20-plus yard passes on the year. Uh, only Vanderbilt, Alabama, and Tennessee have a lower rate. Allowing havoc um, has been a moderate issue for this offense. 29% havoc. Um, a lot of them in the past game, just because you can imagine with a lot of batted balls, pressures, stuff like that tends to happen for this offense because it's not the best offensive line. Speaking of not being the best offensive line, only a 1.75 yards before contact average in standard time. Um, but a lot of their issues um, aren't, of course, with the run game. The run game is what it is with this offense. It's going to steal situational gains with the inside zone or um, 
you're in a little bit more outside zone. Don't tell anybody. Um, but yeah, that type of play is just not necessarily great for what this team is built to be. Um, a lot of their havoc comes from just holding on to the ball so long from coverage sacks. 12% broken play rate, 12 broken plays in general in standard time entering week four for this offense. So what are the bright spots? Well, there are some bright spots through the air, and it starts with their quarterback, Will Rogers. So last year, Will Rogers was very, very turnover-worthy play prone. I mean, that should happen being in a pass-heavy scheme when you're just giving the ball and you have to shoulder an offense as an 18-year-old. Um, basically, him and K.J. Costello combined for 60 turnover-worthy passes last season. Um, of course, playing an all-SEC slate, makes it even harder, but compared to what he showed last year and what he is this season, it is a complete difference. His interceptable pass rate has tremendously improved. He is not throwing the ball into harm's way um, as often as last year, just in general, um, a 3.1 interceptable pass rate, just fantastic. It's basically a third of what it was last year, and his down-to-down -down success rate is much, much better, 14.9. First down touchdown rate is fairly decent, even though if it's not necessarily impressive, 34.6. Um, but the big thing that is impressing is his down-to-down -down accuracy. That depth-adjusted accuracy is one of the highest in the conference. His raw accuracy percentage of 71.6 is tops, as is his 87.7 adjusted completion percentage. And even though he is a check-down Charlie who does not push the ball downfield because he does not necessarily possess a fantastic arm, no SEC passer has a preferable 10-plus accuracy or adjusted completion percentage than our guy in Starkville. So how about that? Um, I love Jalen Wally. He remains to be one of the most um, efficient pass catchers in the SEC behind the chains or overall. Um, he anchors their slot. Uh, but Polk has emerged as his uh, go-to target. I'm talking about Will Rogers. Um, he operates from the Z receiver position in uh, Mississippi State's offense. That is the outside left receiver. Vertical threat guy. Up and down the sideline guy. Went outside the numbers guy. Well, his efficiency isn't that necessarily great, but he is starting to come along in terms of volume. But 54% um, of Will Rogers' yards comes after the catch. That should be expected with how much of his passes are directed short in the dinking and dunking way. Uh, as always with the air raid, you're going to have meshes. Meshes have been the most targeted pass pattern. 24 of them in meaningful oh, – that's overall, actually – because they haven't played non-meaningful minutes in all their games so far. They have <laughs> – uh, so that helps their, uh, their, their sample size solidify a little bit. 45.8% success rate, only a 3.5 yards per attempt on the mesh play. Oh, not fantastic. Um, uh, ironically, despite the lackluster arm talent from Mr. Rogers, Alverts just hitting the seams. 53.3% um, success rate. Only Skipper and Thumb, the Bimbeck sale that I just mentioned because of those explosive gains from this past weekend, have gained more yards through the air than Alverts. 99 in his playbook, Mr. Leach. Um, even though the yards per attempt is just – uh, kind of middling at 6.5. Uh, it's because they're hitting it in the intermediate areas of the field, unlike 20 plus, like you would expect. But checkdowns, like I aforementioned, not too far behind. Same with true screens in terms of play share. Those have combined for basically a 17% play share between the two of them. 
A lot of dinking and dunking. Um, some more solo slants than year over year. Stick is still very healthy. Shovels. We're seeing a lot more shovels than in than in years past in terms of play share at this point in time. Six in meaningful minutes. Four of them have worked, so maybe that's why we've seen them. Uh, but it's never necessarily a great look when the look that has received the most tries with the highest um, – Success rate is RPO tunnel screens. That doesn't seem to be what this offense is. The first two weeks, it seemed like maybe, maybe, maybe more RPOs were going to be featured in this offense. Of course, uh, Will Rogers' screen RPO throw rate is 17.3%, which is still on the low end relative to the other SECers. But um, if these easy completions are still there outside the numbers, this offense needs any bit of help it can get to um, – maintain itself again because if the explosive plays are not going to come um through the air downfield or in the yak game they sure as hell aren't going to come on the ground so just leaning into five six yard results certainly isn't sexy and it requires you to string together a lot of double digit drives to find the promised land um i don't think that's necessarily sustainable uh, but in terms of schematics leaning into those looks like i said the double moves to really get the explosive plays really need to be leaned on um looking back at the cumulative year in terms of uh, touchdown rate um bottom five in the conference 5.2 percent um not particularly great of course they were the worst team in terms of turnover rate last year they have hence climbed outside of the top five so again they are not putting the ball in the harm's way and it's become more of a ball control offense and if zach arnett is still going to play that three through five aggressive style that's um hindering or that you know really seeks havoc and turnovers and can be burnt in the process um they absolutely have to win the turnover battle and not give their opponents extra possessions because that's absolutely not a good recipe for success considering Mississippi State's 1.35 um, first down per drive rate is not good. they got to stay on the field a little bit longer on average, I would like to see. Um, and in terms of uh, just like scoring drive rate, you know, r drives that don't uh, result in points, basically 75% of their drives have come out empty-handed this season only Vanderbilt has a worse clip um only Vanderbilt has uh less scores by volume even if you want to go by that rate so yeah the air raid might be quote-unquote successful down to down but in terms of the macro results that you need to be a contender in the SEC West it is still very much lacking and that's pretty important when they're facing against an SEC West opponent this week okay I guess I'll, I'll talk about LSU to pair with that. Um, so verticality showed up. That's nice. Um, that was one of the major aspects from LSU's scheme from 2019 that um, just had been lacking with the Pete's and Mangus combination back in the bayou. This past weekend, Alverts was responsible for two of their touchdowns. It got seven reps. And um, otherwise, they are starting to do a little bit um, eclectic in terms of their inspiration, um, from week to week, they they seem to be borrowing a little bit more from Kansas City Chiefs tactics. Of course, I mentioned they did the search uh, concept a few weeks ago. Literally, they ran an exact design you can find by Google searching Kansas City pass plays. Uh, but the, uh, the things that are a carryover from 2019, shock, stick, um, zone reads, 
and um, there are all verts because of last week. And uh, Dagger Yards, I am a big fan of Dagger, even though um, it is uh, kind of a tertiary pass pattern through the air. But we see China's to uh, complement their level usage. So I did a post on this on Twitter a few weeks ago. But basically, levels out of trips um, for, for LSU in their playbook, it's labeled bench because of the play side high-low smash combo from the back coming out of the backfield doing a flat and the playside receiver doing a C circus corner to do that high low on the opposite side. The inside receivers basically run a drive, a, a dig, shallow uh, combination with a trailing in from the outside receiver. Uh, but I charted as levels. Um, it, it's definitely more resemblant to a levels because they do do um, a few uh, yard breaks on occasion as opposed to the drag, so it definitely does look like levels on tape. Um, with that, you play with the orientation of the third receiver, right? So if he's normally a dig guy, you can then change that dig to a post if they're peeking, or if they're just looking inside, you can snap it off and run corners. So that has maintained itself. They have a, a, a nice variation going on in their script there. But, yeah, looking at the core looks in meaningful minutes, slants, outside zone read, mostly because of this past weekend, that's basically all they ran on the ground, all verts, stick, uh, inside zone read, dagger, and those China variations like I mentioned. So the issue with LSU's offense um, is the line play. Uh, there's no doubt about it, and it has um, affected scoring. It has affected explosiveness. It has affected consistency. So looking at Max Johnson, of course, a lot of people wanted to shit on him in week one, but he was running from his life from the get-go. He got hit early and often, and his guys have been dropping passes. Well, um, here we are entering week four, and his numbers – are some of the best in the conference 59.3 depth adjusted accuracy 52.8 success rate 42.6 first down touchdown rate a double digit explosive pass rate thanks to this past weekend and an interceptable pass rate on the good side of average so um, his air yardage is good his um, uncatchable pass rate is acceptable um, his only two interceptions are basically misfires near the line of scrimmage so um, I wouldn't necessarily say um, they are his fault. I mean, again, when you're suffering from a, a fairly healthy drop rate and you have those uh, accuracy metrics that are saying that you are coming along, it certainly does help put um, people at ease when he doesn't necessarily have the elite arm strength that Joe Burrow – well, Joe Burrow doesn't necessarily have the best arm in the world, but he had an, a good enough arm where he, that vertical element of this scheme made it so that LSU could absolutely score on any given snap. And quite frankly, that is not the case with LSU's um, bottom five touchdown rate after the first three weeks within SEC play here. So the, turn, the lack of turnovers is fantastic. The scoring, however, is – relatively middling and the thing that is a, a big concern for me is that the fact that they are forced into three and outs at a fairly healthy clip um <laughs> 11 three and outs are tied for the second most and in terms of rate 27.5 only texas a&m arkansas and vanderbilt are worse in that regard entering week four so 
Um, yeah, that's certainly certainly a, con a concern. And because of the complete inability to run the ball, um, LSU has, without question, one of the most moribund uh, results when they turn to that facet. Um, it has brought down their overall success rate to 36.1. Only South Carolina is worse within the SEC. And if we want to isolate yards before contact, 0.54 yards before contact in standard time. Just horrific. Horrific. And like you could imagine because of some of the other um, situations around the conference, the poor line play has begat a terrible, broken play rate. 14 by volume. No SEC offense has a higher number, 16.3% by our rate basis. No SEC offense has a worse clip. Yuck. So, yes, that is a concern. And like I mentioned, the lack of explosiveness on the ground in standard time, only one measly run through three weeks that has gone for at least 10 yards that was designed. My gosh. Only five pass patterns have gone 20 plus yards downfield. Yuck, 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 yuck. And uh, it certainly doesn't help that uh, Max Johnson's, or I should say LSU's, pressure rate at 27.6 is bottom five as well. So, yeah. The line is going to is, is probably going to upend the talented uh, skill positions that this team has. Um, Tyrion Davis-Price has been an okay runner after contact, okay uh, stable metrics in the past, but look, at this rate, at this consistent lack of cushion, um, he absolutely cannot bring any bit of value onto the ground, and neither can either of their other two backs at this point in time. We're still waiting to see if John Emery can get on the field this season, but it's never a good look to rock the conference's second worst negative play rate. So, um, I like the... the the things through the air, they're nice. Um, it seems to change every week. They have a fun new um, area of emphasis that they're really trying to hone in on, but they still have their core pass patterns, and that's the difference between some other offenses. They have their core stuff um, paired with the unpredictable nature of what they might be able to run to maximize their skill set. So um, this weekend, you know, the under looks to be a very nice play with Mississippi State, Mississippi State and LSU because of their uh, struggles to get explosive gains, their struggles to score on any given snap. So um, that's something to watch because last year that certainly wasn't the case when, case when those two teams met in week one. Well, looking at uh, about Georgia, let's go to Georgia. Um, last week, it looks like the big plays downfield were coming back. Big fan of the double post wheel. Um, as I said, it was one of my favorite looks on the week. The wheelie switch in general um, is seeing itself manifest in more and more forms, whether it is um, its base self uh, with a two by two set, inside wheel, outside dig or post, or if it's a running back or a tight end doing the wheel, or if it is out of trips with double posts, like we saw Georgia join the increasingly growing list of offenses that have featured that look um, the last few weeks in the SEC. So um, another scheme that I drew up, pattern I drew up that I really enjoyed was their Fox fake screen. Of course, I've mentioned a few of them. This also used Wheelie, but um, strangely enough, you don't see too many um, at-the-snap flare motions 
towards screen action. Um, it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to draw eye candy towards where you're about to throw the ball in a deception tactic, but Alabama did this effectively, effectively a few times at the end of last season, and Georgia actually set this up in the first half, so kudos to Todd Monken. Um, really did like the aspect of some hurry up early on. Now, it looks like Georgia might be quote, become a quote-unquote wristband offense. I played in a wristband offense, so I can't hate. So instead of just getting, you know, signals through the quarterback or looking at signs on the sideline, you every team, every skilled player has wristbands, and they are just getting a corresponding number or whatever that are on there. So it speeds up communication, and you ensure everyone's on the same page. So a decent amount of bunch formation this past weekend, a decent amount of duo dive because of that, but they were fantastic on third down. Of course, in SEC play um, last season, JT Daniels was one of the most successful SEC passers in those situations. And thus far, um, those snaps and dropbacks are heightening his overall numbers. Um, that is very, that is a very, uh, you know, that is a very nice thing to have in your back pocket. Let me just say that. Of course, no offense wants to find themselves playing on third downs too often, but when you are forced in those situations, it's nice to have a quarterback that you can trust. So overall metric for, for Mr. Daniels, still kind of middling in terms of accuracy, in terms of uh, what he's been asked to do because his numbers are still heavily skewed from that Clemson game where he was basically asked to just be a, a facilitator off of screens and RPO looks. Entering this week, his screen RPO throw rate is 31.2, and his average depth of target is only 6.3. Let's not forget that no SEC passer had a higher average depth of target or deep pass rate than JT Daniels last year. So those deep completions, those deep attempts from this past weekend might be something to look forward to in terms of getting back to his old self. But a 6.7 explosive pass rate, um, a 40.9 first down touchdown rate, and an air yard makeup well under 50% um, screams that he might not be asked to do too much. And that not that might not be a necessarily a bad thing. Um, I mean, it worked for Jake Fromm. I don't think that that is necessarily the best way to maximize everybody. But if this um, staff is not as trusting in his deep passing acumen like I was entering the season, and that's a completely different diatribe that I will not go down right now. Um, it just remains to be seen how vertical will this offense get because looking at the patterns, it doesn't seem like they want to be pulling too many punches in that regard. So um, just looking at some other things to uh, maybe – is a little bit concerning for Mr. Bo, or for Mr. J.C. Daniels. Sorry, I was looking at Bo Nix because he was at the top of the list I was reading, and that is interceptable passes on throws 10-plus yards downfield entering week four. Um, so Bo Nix had a 23.3% clip, not to throw him under the bus, but J, uh, J.T. Daniels' clip was 18.8, third highest in the conference in terms of raw accuracy on 10-plus yard downfield attempts, 37.5, which is 10th leaves a lot to be desired. So, um, yeah, looking at their their biggest yardage gainers, they're all vertical pass patterns, and a lot of them are from that Week 2 game. You had a Portland Yankee shot. You had an aforementioned wheelie switch, like I said. You had a Mills double post in there. You had um, floods combined for a few things, play actions, crosses, sails. All of them had um, a pretty decent uh, accumulation of yardage there. So 
in terms of what they're actually running, it's still inside zone based, um, but it's a little bit more balanced in terms of looks year over year. They're pulling more linemen that look to be an emphasis while leaning up this unit and becoming less predictable and reliant on just the methodical uh, approach where we're bigger, stronger than you. So we're definitely better than you, so we don't have to do anything fun schematically. Well, I think that has uh, absolutely changed. You're seeing more pitches. I mean, that should just tell you from get on, they they believe in their offenses, offensive line's ability to win uh, laterally and reach people towards the perimeter. But looking at the things, meaningful minutes, floods, like I – uh, like you probably would have guessed, they're the top yardage gainer. Then true screens, uh, then stick, and then some RPO looks. So, yeah, there's not a whole lot of things that they're hammering on, but they are spreading things around, but they do have their core pass patterns because there are plays that are starting to show up week to week, namely um, the play-action cross-play, some boot variations, um, and, of course, their convoy screens. Uh, certainly to be seen. Why Shock is becoming more involved now that Bowers has... Uh, look, he has earned that tight end one position. Even when Washington comes back and if uh, Eric Gilbert plays at all this season, I mean, they're going to have to steal snaps away from this kid. This kid looks absolutely legit, and he is one of the more featured pass catchers at this point in time. And I don't think there's any reason to deviate from that. Looking at the ground game in general... Um, it could give some more um, efficiency. Of course, playing Clemson is certainly going to skew the numbers, but <laughs> in meaningful minutes, only one gosh darn negative play. That has got to be pretty darn uh, – uh, you got to take that. I'm sorry. I, you just have to take that. In terms of yard, rush yards before contact, 2.5 yards before contact average. Now, that's generally average, but at this point in time, it's fourth in the conference in standard time. In terms of explosive runs, um, 18.9 as a team. It's fairly average. Um, and, of course, because of the week one snaps, that it really has brought down their pass. But they're basically average in terms of, of explosive plays by a rate basis. Um, explosive rating have them much higher in the SEC hierarchy, but it's still not anywhere near like the best in the conference because of the, how the week one uh, outlook affected things even if you wanted to skew things and just look at 15 plus play rate georgia is 12.5 sec average is 11.4 they're right down the line there in terms of overall success um it's the same type of deal um right down the line because of their um inability to um prevent some stalls from here to there from miscues from there to there but they're still very talented of course they're very driven by the defense um, and of course n having very few three and outs always helps only Ole Miss has a preferable three and out rate at this point in time I still have my concerns sure but there's no reason to believe that Georgia cannot be in the thick of things in a few months so South Carolina it has not been pretty we'll stumble onto them next um yeah, Georgia really did a number on them, to say the least. They were hit behind the line of scrimmage on 10 of their 29 designed carries. The offensive line just got absolutely dominated. Sure, um, they had some open shots downfield on some divide and solos or just one-on-one -on -one deep balls. Josh Van getting open deep, and they connected on three of five of those. The Yankee shot plays have consistently uh, underwhelmed for this offense, kind of like Alabama, how this uh, – pass concept it just has not necessarily worked of course these are usually deep crosses or digs with an overtop post off a heavy set 
play action. If we wanted to look at a, a few of these plays from South Carolina, it resulted in a deep contested drop, a safety sack, and a strip sack. Yikes. Um, but yeah, the big issue is just line play has been terrible, 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 terrible. As bad as LSU's rush yard before contact, they still have been better than this South Carolina unit that has put forth a 0.42 rush yard before contact average in standard time. It's just so terrible. Like, their backs are instantly hit um, as soon as they get the ball. And, of course, as you can imagine, no offense has a uh, worse negative play rate by volume or um, – by clip than South Carolina. It's 11.5%, 12 by volume in standard time. Of course, six of them have been sacks. Pressure rate, only Alabama is worse. Um, yeah, it's just not pretty whatsoever. Uh, not a lot of big gains downfield. The ones that come are those seldom shot plays. Um, the run game, looking at it, isolating it, only three runs all freaking year long, longer than 10 yards. Just not going to cut it. It's just not going to cut it. In terms of isolating their run havoc, um, half of their runs suffer from a form of havoc. So that's either contact behind the line of scrimmage uh, resulting in a loss or um, fumbling the ball away. Um, that is a terrible, terrible, terrible recipe for sustained success. Now, luckily for them, they're playing a passive defense this week. Kentucky plays uh, three downs quite a lot. They don't like to do a lot of stunts or pressures or a lot of Fun stuff up front. They do a lot more deception tactics on the back end. Bend, don't break type of style. Try and confuse and get you to buffer, which then uh, creates more broken play opportunities. So um, I don't have a lot of optimism for this offense right now. Um, in terms of down-to-down -down success rate, no SEC offense is worse than the Gamecocks. Entering week four, 346 um, in terms of RPOs, they are kind of straightforward, but they have started to be a little bit more in, uh, inclusive with those the last couple of weeks. Now, a fifth of their off a fifth of their offensive plays use those type of designs, but it's just a whole lot of uh, ineffectiveness. 15 plus play rate is bottom four. Um, again, when you're pairing that with the terrible rate at where this offense likes to move backward it's it's just ugh, not a lot to like only Vanderbilt has a less profitable touchdown rate and only Kentucky their opponent is uh, more prone to turnovers at this point in time so yeah even though there are some interesting things that have caught my eye with the South Carolina scheme it's just a whole lot of uh, flaws right now and while some people might be drawn to the flaws in terms of uh, finding character and charisma uh, from where I sit, it's just not necessarily pretty whatsoever. So in terms of pass patterns, like I mentioned, um, their favorites to target, I should say, um, it has been those Portland Yankee shots, nine of them overall on this season, but only um, two of them have been completed. Um, spacing and curl flats. Um, very horizontal-based pass scheme. Um, the isolated shots are there, but a lot of screens, slants, smashes, rubs like mesh, spot, stick. Um, yeah, underneath stuff. Um, trying to find these easy avenues from these from the aforementioned condensed formations or sometimes empty formations. On the ground, still uh, based with inside zone slams. 
mostly in the read game. We don't see a lot of quarterback keeps, but the, the option is there. They're averaging over six yards per pop, even though the success rate is still kind of middling. Um, a lot of duo dives because the uh, bunch formation, you got to imagine Marcus Statusfield spending some time with Joe Brady, borrowing that tactic that he used at LSU with those bunch formations, really blending in the inside zones and the duo dives, which are uh, obviously gap schemes, um, which have been a little bit more better situationally, but certainly less potent with only a 3.4 yards per attempt on the year. So all in all, this is an offense that is searching for explosive plays and its best, its most effective methodology to do so thus far is just to isolate one of its receivers one-on-one -on -one and just chuck the ball downfield. Um, I don't know if that's going to work this past weekend, but if Josh Fan can get open against Georgia, I'd like to think he can get open against Kentucky. Speaking of Kentucky, we'll talk about them. So they're coming off a performance where the offensive line was absolute poop. Absolute poop. Almost akin to South Carolina level. So, um, but I don't know if it was the staff seeing something or whatever, but it was clear that the game plan was to come out and pass. Against Chattanooga, I mean, when you have one of the more incendiary passing offenses in the conference, why not get ahead of them early and just make it a wrap? Uh, their first two drives, Kentucky came out and empty, and uh, they even tried a flea flicker to start the second half. So um, there was an aggressive plan, but boy, did Kentucky uh, fail that test, even though they walked away with a victory. Levis, um, he's still very explosive. His explosive pass rate of 17.9 is tops within the conference entering this week, but his accuracy has certainly soured um, with each passing week. So his down-to-down -down accuracy of 58.9 is very middling to eh, nothing special. His success rate, still very good. Results, very good. Um, but depth-adjusted accuracy of 45.8. That is uh, barely top 10 worthy in the SEC. Um, and the offensive line certainly was a big letdown as well, allowing contact behind the line of scrimmage on eight of their 22 designed runs, limiting the big blue wall to a 0.77 rush yards before contact average. That is unacceptable for the pedigree of this offensive line and the level of opponent. Um, now, Chris Rodriguez, he broke Six, all six, actually, all six of his broken tackles from last week were on tries where he was hit behind the line of scrimmage. And in terms of total volume of broken tackles, no SEC or has a preferable clip than Mr. Rodriguez. But obviously, um, the early contact hurt his efficiency numbers, and he is no longer um, a member of the top 10 most successful running backs. Even though his first down touchdown rate and broken tackle rate, uh, both metrics in a vacuum, are still inside the top 10. Um, other things certainly moved backwards because of the lack of cushion up front. So it seems like when Will Levis has to move in the pocket, reshift his eyes, he seems to have a, a tunnel vision problem and an accuracy problem. So um, that is certainly a concern moving forward. And even though his interceptable pass rate is still not terrible, it's above 6%, and he has thrown an interception in three straight games. But with the big arm and zip of his, um, attacking outside the numbers is a big plus of his game. Looking at uh, his success rate targeting outside the numbers, no SEC passer has a preferable clip entering week four than his 62.5% clip. And uh, that's nice. Um, and even though, yeah, obviously he his um, verticality, his bomb, badir style of play 
has allowed UK to lean into the vertical passing game, certainly. One aspect of this uh, arm strength that I love and is certainly overlooked is the quickness to which his passes arrive in the short game. Now, why do why does that matter, Clark? Well, if you average a time to throw of 1.5 and the pass gets to its intended target in, in a quarter of a second, well, defenders are still making their drop and by the time that they realize what is going on, the receiver already has the ball. And the change of it is, he's not behind the line of scrimmage. He's about five to six yards downfield. And that really does help yak opportunities. And even though his air yard percentage is still on the high end because of the vertical passing game, um, there have been numerous times where UK has hit underneath stick concepts that have allowed Ali and Robinson to get first downs just because there have been no defenders around them because they get the ball so damn quickly. So... In terms of the schematics that the Wildcats have been leaning on this season, um, obviously I wrote this offseason that Portland and Yankee shots should be expected because they are big parts of L.A. Ram scheme in line with the off-tackle. And certainly both of those are features of this offense at this point in time. Yankee shots, Kentucky is connected on four of them, and it is their top yardage gainer through the air with 162 yards. It is averaging over 23 yards per target. Not too shabby, if you ask me. Outside zones, they compose about an 11% play share with um, a 50% success rate as a contact group. But because you have Chris Rodriguez and because Kentucky was one of the most um, skilled and effective inside zone teams last year, they have maintained a healthy play share with uh, basically 16% of their plays. 54.8% success rate, averaging four, uh, 6.4 excuse me, yards per attempt. Very nice. So, and like I aforementioned, sticks are also um, very seen in this offense. You see um, some daggers, some rubs, floods because of the play-action boot game. Um, very play-action and deceptive-based offense. Of course, they're um, trying to use more motion, but that kind of slowed down last week. More at-the-snap motion to try and get the defense to key on um, bringing down an extra safety based on the pre-snap movement or whatever to tip to open up the back end on those shot plays. But, um, yeah, the offensive line still is fine on the surface. Um, looking at their rush yards before contact in meaningful minutes, it's top four, 2.9 essentially. Um, again, Chris Rodriguez is still running hard, and they're getting results. Overall success rate, um, Kentucky still a top performer despite dropping the ball for the most part last week. Only Ole Miss and Auburn have a preferable clip than their 50.8 success rate entering this upcoming week here. So the pass game still coming along in terms of getting explosive plays, even though its consistency is moving backwards. In terms of explosive runs, Kentucky's, uh, they're relatively average, 16 by volume, 17.6 by a, a, a run basis. The SEC averages uh, 19.1. But the big issue for this offense moving forward, um, <laughs> it's, the, it's the turnover plays, man. I mean, whether it is a ball just hitting a receiver in an awkward way or a strip sack. 4% of Kentucky's plays have resulted in turnovers. None have more turnovers by volume or a rate basis than the Wildcats. So um, obviously with South Carolina being bad at protecting the ball themselves, it seems like it's going to be a classic case of whoever protects the ball better should win this ball game this weekend. Okay, let's just stumble into Ole Miss now. 
Um, they have hardly been challenged this past week. Um, probably the most aggressive offense in the SEC. Um, uh, <laughs> obviously the most explosive. They're the only SEC offense in standard time with an explosive play rate over 20%. Their 21.4% success rate is clearly tops, tops by about 3.5%. In terms of volume, yeah, their explosive plays are also the most in the SEC by a considerable margin. 53 combined 10-plus-yard runs and 20-plus-yard passes entering this week. Um, the next closest team is Florida with 39. Woo-hoo-hoo. Very comfortable. They are limiting havoc fairly well. Top five havoc rate allowed. They are getting a pretty amount, a pretty decent amount of cushion up front. 2.7 yards before contact. Yards after contact. Only Auburn has a preferable clip in their 4.6 average in terms of success rate. Only Auburn has a preferable clip. 54.04 clip for the Rebels. But again, because of the big play nature of this offense, touchdown rate over eight percent. 20 touchdowns overall on the season. They are staying on the field. No offense has a preferable three and out rate. Um, there's just so much to like. Of course, Matt Corral um, is becoming a Heisman favorite each passing week. He is becoming more and more of a gaudy passer, a, a, a pat statter. Of course, he had four rushing touchdowns this past weekend, uh, and he wasn't just like force feeding himself. These were true good keeps. Um, so looking at his overall um, profile, it is absolutely nice. So 81.5 adjusted completion percentage. He has an accuracy percentage just under 69%. Depth adjusted accuracy percentage in the 60s. His success rate is second best in the conference at 55.2%. First down touchdown rate is one of the best in the conference, 43.8%. Explosive pass rate just behind Will Levis's lead leaguing, 17.9%. Interceptable pass rate, 3.1%, one of the top in the conference. Of course, concerns and questions and qualms about him is the high screen RPO percentage and the fact that um, 55% or so of his yards come after the catch. But let's not kid ourselves. Um, his skill set is as complete as any other passer in the conference, and he is directing one of the most incendiary schemes in college football. So, um, Jerrion Ely and his running backs, they themselves are absolutely effective runners. Um, you know, it's not just like it's a, a one-dimensional approach down there in Oxford. Um, Jerrion Ely, 4.4 yak average. Jerrion Ely, 64.5 broken tackle rate. That is number one in this conference, while his yak average that I mentioned is third highest. Like, he is running hard, and he is showing that he is deserving. Both he and Parrish are top four in rushing success rate with clips above 58%. Um, both of them have explosive run rates over 22%. They are getting it done. Again, they are getting the necessary cushion, and they are running hard and through tackles. Schematically, um, the, the pace prevents some at-the-snap motion, kind of like Arkansas, or I should say some pre-snap motion, but like Arkansas, they use a healthy amount of jet and orbit motion to disorient it and uh, get defenses to tip before the snap while stressing and uh, maintaining an aggressive mindset in the process. So um, inside zone reads are the base. Like I mentioned, it's a lot of RPOs. These RPO outlets are tunnel screens, slant variations, um, hits, hitch variations, excuse me, uh, but a 20 
Uh, 3% of this offense has been because of that skewed by garbage time minutes. And looking at the meaningful minutes, though, just to get a, a more clear idea of just how balanced and effective a lot of their um, concepts are, but in meaningful minutes, and when you're looking at the things beside that, um, loads of looks have logged between nine and six um, reps. Of course, inside zone reads, clearing away the favorite. I mean, when you average a uh, 5.7 yards per attempt off a 68.6 um, success rate, yeah, very, very nice. Very, very nice. Nothing really to complain about the lead look. But it's all the stuff off of that, the play-action cross-plays that they themselves have delivered a double-digit yards per attempt. Um, uh, Haas off of play-action that has delivered an 18.1 yards per attempt. Um, even though slant variations aren't necessarily as um, effective, we have seen very nifty RPO outlets and um, – plenty of explosive gains like I have aforementioned you know some Y pop plays but um, in terms of balance like I aforementioned with the um, schemes what's actually being called with the concepts um, on the script it's it's basically right down the middle in meaningful minutes you know a 21 point margin 75 runs 74 passes now obviously the pass game was has been more productive but both facets have at least a 52 percent success rate runs uh 61.3 so they are kicking ass in both facets and uh yeah they are certainly certainly a team to keep an eye on as a dark horse to crash the college football playoff this year i mean there's a lot I mean, of I like to talk about that more but i mean so you know drummond's good. coming along mingo's a becoming a a decent receiver um sanders still holding things down like again uh ely and parish running the ball very very sound but um just because of the lackluster opponents no nah, too much desire to hone in on the Rebels, especially because they have an off week. But um, I guess we'll stumble on to Vanderbilt. They're going to have a big test this week with Georgia. So they're using a lot more 10 personnel. Um, now, I famously defended uh, Ben Bresnahan entering the season. He had very, very high efficiency metrics last year in terms of success rate, first down touchdown rate, coming down with contested windows. Uh, opportunities winning in the red zone he was one of the best you name it in those situations so it remains to be seen why he has not really seen the field or been utilized same with amir abdul rahman another player who really stood out in extra opportunities last year he has been faded for the likes of will shepherd and david body mm, very nice uh some some no names definitely leading the way there but 10 personnel is leading vanderbilt and they have probably one of the more watered down schemes in the sec um now that Gus Malzahn is no longer roaming the plains, um, no team runs more inside zone slot bubbles than the Commodores. Boring as fuck, I know, but if it's going to be uh, effective, they probably won't get away from it anytime soon. So up until basically uh, the middle the middle eight, they were in that game against Stanford. But when, when you give away a 20-point um, advantage in the middle eight, yeah, that's not going to be a good recipe for success. And everything just uh, unfolded from there, but... Through the air, stick, vertical routes, uh, the pairing of those two, sometimes some slants. You know, you'll see a lot of Y shock, a lot of Y shock, which is an inverted stick play where um, instead of the stick read being the two inside receivers, you have the number two receiver in the trips um, side run a fade. So it has a little bit more of a vertical stretcher there. So the read becomes more high-low than uh, side-to-side, even though it still has a side-to-side -side aspect to it. Um, 
Um, but yeah, uh, the explosive play- plays are too infrequent. Ken Seals is um, a fairly inaccurate passer, um, especially after last week. Um, looking at his depth adjusted accuracy, just terrible, 33%. His overall accuracy, 53.9%. His success rate, 35.4%. Um, a first down touchdown rate, under 30%. Only 3.5 explosive pass rate, just fucking terrible. Especially when you put that next to a 9.7 interceptable pass rate. Yikes. But the thing is, he gives this offense its best methodology for moving through the air. Um, I just would like to see them try and get the ball more to the uh, the players that have worked when the adversity was just as high, if not worse, than it previously is. So, or than it currently is. So, yeah, um, a lot of concerns statistically, as you would imagine, uh, in terms of turnover rate. As is, um, the Commodores are actually kind of average, so that's not a concern whatsoever. But it's just the lack of scoring, touchdown rate dead last in the conference scoring drive rate dead last in the conference only South Carolina and um, LSU have less preferable down to down success rates so losing Davis is going to be massive for them I thought he was one of their few bright spots in terms of dealing with a you know the bottom five yards before contact average that Vanderbilt is accustomed to delivering um, in terms of breaking tackles and getting extra value plays, well, he fractures an ankle, and it looks like he's going to be sidelined for the foreseeable future. So that is just unfortunate for this offense. But it, And it's also probably going to mean they're going to lean more into the pass game, which, <laughs> as we just mentioned, has not necessarily been giving um, fantastic results. So um, at the snap, motion usage is a fairly decent uh uh, I would say uh, characteristic of this offense in terms of jet motion. They use the second most by volume and the fourth most by a read basis um, in terms of pure motion, um, like pre-snap motion. Theirs is bottom five. So it, it's a fairly static approach. And again, they have a, a, a massive shortcoming in terms of playmakers on the field uh, at this point in time. So, yeah, moving forward, playing against one of the best defenses and one of the most potential, potentially potent passing games is not necessarily a great um, short-term outlook for the Commodores this weekend. Okay, how about Tennessee? Um, it, look. I'm sure Heupel will get things looking a little bit better in the future, but in the short term, this remains to be my least favorite scheme to chart. Unlike the other Baylor spread offenses in Arkansas and Ole Miss, um, zero desire to use any at-the-snap motion. None. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of play action. Yeah, there's a lot of RPO dependence, but there's very little true deception elements to my liking. And, of course, with the shortcomings, um, completing deep passes, it really does cap this scheme, especially when it doesn't run block particularly um, well. Looking at rush yards before contact in meaningful minutes, only South Carolina, LSU, and Vanderbilt have put up worse clips than the Venom, than the uh, than the Volunteers 1.42 clip. They are our bottom uh, five, essentially, in pressure rate allowed um, in terms of uh, allowing negative plays, moving backwards. Yeah, they're still fine, but look, we know that these Havocs uh, plays, these elements have derailed this offense because Hendon Hooker and Joe Milton haven't necessarily looked like the best pressured passers. Easy for me to say. Overall, 
the whole shebang, a 39.1% success rate, bottom four in the conference. Despite the vertical-oriented attack, 9.5 explosive play rate, bottom five in the conference, only 10 explosive plays in standard time entering week four. Um, So... While the havoc doesn't necessarily come at a high rate, it certainly does come at a decent enough rate to get them outside of their rhythm. In terms of scoring, uh, thanks to this last weekend, yeah, it helps their numbers look a little bit better. Um, down to down, uh, a touchdown rate is uh, above average, as is their scoring drive rate. But um, three and outs, uh, yeah, three and outs are still pretty good. They're, they're staying on the field in terms of like the average across the conference. Um, only five three and outs in standard time. So you have to at least look at the silver linings with this offense. But in terms of the operations, a lot of inside zones. And if they're not going anywhere, you're doing inserts to get a little bit more power element in there. Those hardly work. Um, yeah, I did like the Y pop stuff against Pittsburgh. I did like the shovel sale stuff against Pittsburgh. Um, and some deep double moves early in the season. But the down-to-down offense is just really watered down to just being a version of shot plays, which are either slot fades, one-on-one deep balls, or the divide concept, outside vert, inside middle read. And this offense is basically just like a slant occupier. He's not necessarily looking for the ball. Um, And then their version of all verts is the same way, where both of their inside receivers just um, break towards the middle of the field, basically trying to occupy safeties to manufacture one-on-one opportunities outside the numbers. So... I don't like what I see so far, and I think they're going to be certainly outgunned against Florida this week. Um, There's just really nothing statistically where I can really hone in on and and say, like, oh, this is going to be something that um, is certainly going to uh, sustain itself across the entire season. Of course, we don't even know if Joe Milton is going to start. It looks like he might. But uh, with just the overall wayward passing ability and the drops, of course, um, Joe Milton has a very high drop rate. Hinden Hooker has a very high drop rate. But it's not like um, the passes themselves are necessarily always on target. So looking at the patterns themselves, as you can imagine, with a high RPO offense, a lot of their uh, most targeted pass plays are outlets like um, isolated hitches and curls, all curls, um, slide flat outlets, tunnel screens, um, but like uh, overall true screens um, have been very targeted. 14 shot variations, only uh, two of them have found um, their intended targets. Um, running all verts, only one has found its intended target. Um, thanks in terms of yardage gaining concepts, only their volume driven things are amongst their top yardage gainers. So inside zone reads quarterback draw because of that long breakaway against Pittsburgh from Mr. Milton tunnel screens and counter read options that average about a 5.1 yards per attempt. You know, that actually has brought down their power looks have brought down their overall success rate. So insert outside power reads inside power reads all finish with a success rate below 50 percent but when you look at the bread and butter inside zone reads um in terms of bluffs and slams both boast at least a 54 percent um success rate even though the yard for attempt for both is around four yards which is yeah that just screams not explosive middling methodical blah 
but that should hopefully open up some more creative designs. I'm hoping that the lack of ingenuity this past weekend was just the opponent, and they just wanted to get in, get a victory, not put too much stuff on tape, and that they might um, unleash something against Florida, but um, I still think they're going to be easily outmatched, and I do not think they're going to be able to cover because of the underlying concerns I have with their blocking up front and their inability to maximize what the scheme is set out to do. Okay, let's close with some fun with Missouri. So Missouri still going to hammer their off tackles as the base of their scheme. But this past weekend, their tackle counter read option really was a big source for um, much of their ground production. Um, of course, Basilak um, did hit on uh, a deep ball. And he does seem to be a pretty good deep passer when throwing between the hashes. He's 3-for-3 three three for 155 yards and a touchdown on uh, throws 20-plus yards between the hashes. But you want to guess what it is outside of those parameters? 1-for-13 for 17 yards. Woo! Of course, the the throw, uh, why does he have 17 yards on a throw 20-plus yards downfield? It was into the end zone. So there you have it. Um, his depth-adjusted accuracy is around 40%. His overall um, raw accuracy is um, below 65%. His overall success rate is below 50%. He remains to be a game manager that has a lot of holes still in his game. Uh, but he's not a quarterback that will lose you too many games. He just might not necessarily be able to one to win you many games. So obviously the last few weeks, the ground game has gotten a lot of highlights, um, a lot of acclaim um, in meaningful minutes. No SEC offense. Um basically averages more rush yards before contact than uh, Missouri. They average more rush yards before contact than a handful of teams average per carry. 5.6 freaking 3. Of course, the lackluster opponents have had um, an effect of that, but the line is limiting plays themselves. Only two broken plays at this point in the season in terms of havoc rate. Only Auburn has a preferable clip than their 17.1 clip. 13 Havoc plays through three games. Pretty, pretty good. Um, in terms of explosiveness, things could be a little bit better. But, of course, um, relative to the rest of the conference, they are still pretty, pretty um, sturdy. 18.4 explosive play rate. Um, that is fourth best in the conference with 14 explosive plays at this point in time. So, limiting pressure, uh, fifth best. Limiting sacks, pretty, pretty good. So, um, it's just a matter of... Um, uh, yeah, not falling themselves into into the mistakes. So they're they're pretty good at staying on the field. 11.4, three and out rate. It's the third highest in the conference. Turnover rate, only one bloody turnover, which ha happened against the Kentucky game. Uh, so that is best in the conference. you got to like that. So you see why Vegas likes their odds against Boston College. But the SP Plus has them as a four-point dog. And despite the fact that, you know, Missouri comes in ranked 53rd in the SP Plus and Boston College is 50th, well, in that metric's eyes, there's a point-and-a-half differential between those two despite their uh, vicinity in the rankings. Um, and that is, and with the three-point advantage, home field advantage, that's why you see the uh, Boston College uh, projected to win that one. But, you know, I, I'm a big believer in this run game, um, particularly with their overall ability not to move backwards. I mean, excluding uh, – actually, they had two sacks. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said one. Um, excluding the, the sacks, they have they have three negative plays um, all uh, in standard time, which is very, very good. I mean, when you're getting explosive plays, you're not moving backwards. Obviously, the, the poor opponents help. 
and you know they didn't look as explosive against Kentucky. They were definitely more methodical. Screens, uh, spacing concepts, underneath concepts to really uh, pester Kentucky's drop eight style. It still can absolutely happen that way, but um, Connor Bazelak has a 5% interceptable pass rate. That's pretty good. His uncatchable pass rate is around 20%. That's okay. It's not spectacular, um, and that's basically what he is right now. He's an okay, um, not spectacular quarterback, but Tyler Beatty um, getting great results on the ground. Of course, we would like to see who's going to be the top dog on the outside. Um, Mookie Cooper was talked up, but he is not necessarily shown to be a consistent receiver yet, even though they're trying to get him the ball. Kiki Kism has some drops on his profile. Toski Dove has not necessarily been um, someone to look for it as well. And, and when you look at his pass chart, Connor Bazelak we're talking about, he's starting to develop a, uh, a dead zone, kind of like Kellen Mond's last year. But when you're looking at throws outside the numbers, beyond 10 yards downfield on the right, our guy is a combined um, 1 for 18. Yikes. One for 18. That is a great source of his incompletions, of course, with the spacing and the screens uh, aspect. Of course, last weekend, they started to do a lot more RPOs from the pistol. So a lot of people have red flags when they come out in the pistol. They think, oh, off tackle, off tackle, off tackle. Well, um, very nice um, tactics from Basil or from uh, Drinkwitz to run more uh, tackle counter reads from those sets as well as RPOs without mesh. And so he's just distributing the ball to a tunnel or a bubble screen without going through that mesh action and reading an edge defender. It's just an alignment type of RPO, an alert type of RPO. Uh, but, yeah, just to shine a little bit more light on the tackle counter reads this year, 14 have been called for about 8% play share um, in meaningful minutes for a 57.1% success rate and a 9 two yards per attempt. Now, it remains to be seen for the, they want to get more triple option looks involved. Uh, last year, they were kind of hit and miss with their triple option looks. Um, obviously, uh, Jalen Knox was their outlet a lot of the time with orbit and jet motion. Uh, Mookie Cooper looked to take on that role with the select few they have called this season. But the fact that true screens and checkdowns remain to be the two most targeted pass patterns from this offense through three weeks, it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be vertically inclined. And even though I do love some of the pass patterns, don't get me wrong, they have some R wheelies, they have some true wheelies, switches in general, 0 for 7 uh, with a uh, – Margin of 21 points or less so far this year. Um, two of four Alberts have hit the mark, um, but spreading it around from slants, floods, smashes, um, drives, shallows, things like that, um, really spreading the wealth around through the air outside of you know the true screens, checkdowns, and uh, spacing patterns. So um, until Bazelak is able to shore up his deep accuracy, uh, I cannot. Uh, back him and say that he is a, a, a certifiable winner in this conference course. This is a big test going on the road against a Power 5 opponent, but I still think the ground game is going to be the catalyst in that one behind the run behind the offense the offensive line that is playing fairly well. Okay, so you can probably tell that my brain is starting to fizzle a little bit. We've gotten to the end. And since you made it this far, and since Fitz and I have had uh, some technical issues getting the stat cast recorded this week, I just want to go ahead and shit out my picks against the spread uh, for the SEC games week four. So, like I said, Ole Miss is off. So, let's just go ahead and hit them through. Um, 
Uh, Ze- uh, Fitz and I both had Georgia against Vanderbilt, 35 and a half, and we both had the over 53. It was his lock. It is not my lock. We are split on LSU, Mississippi State. I am taking the Tigers. He is taking the home dogs. Um, I think it's going to be under 56. He's taking the over. We are a consensus agreement that Missouri is going to upset Boston College or um, cover. It depends on how you look at it. Again, the SP Plus has them as the underdog, but Vegas has them as um, the favorite. Minus one and a half, and I am taking the over in that one. Fitz is taking the under. In Texas A&M and Arkansas, we are in lockstep. In Arkansas, uh, I am taking the under because, if you recall, both of these defenses are top five in EPA per play. Very, very nice. Uh, We're both taking Auburn to take care of business against Georgia State at home, and we both agree with the under 57. Uh, My lock of the week is Kentucky minus five against South Carolina. Um, Fitz agrees with me that Kentucky will cover, and we both agree over 48 points are going to be scored. We both take Florida and the under. We are not believing in Tennessee's scheme or that the uh, instability around the quarterback position results in a good night with the lights in the swamp. And um, even though Alabama is very, very talented, we just thought that uh, 46 points was just too much to give a very bad Southern Miss team. Um, We think Alabama's more likely to win by 38 to 42, each of us, uh, and we both agree that over 58.5 is going to be scored, uh, mostly thanks to Alabama and that, you know, Southern Miss gets some maybe garbage time points to pad the numbers there. So there you have it is the SEC StatCast Week for addition, be sure to subscribe to the website, secstatcat.com, for all these nitty-gritty stats. Um, you have unlimited access for just $49 a month. You get pass charts, rusher charts, what teams are running with concept pages, um, X and O's videos that if you don't know exactly what a certain concept is, you can have it broken down for you. Script pages, so what plays are run, when they are run, you can see it broken out play-by-play. So a lot of fun resources. Of course, um, I still share a lot of it through the Twitter account, at SEC underscore StatCat, and of course, uh, the account dedicated to our Pick'em Show, at BetDownSouth. Be sure to follow all of those on Twitter and Facebook. But until next time, I am Clark Brooks. Happy betting, and have a good one.